My name's Ben, the media director here at Thrive Church. Okay, I've been thinking about lately where I want to start with this, and I think probably 2012. At that time, living at home, I got my, you know, my parents there, and my sister and her boyfriend at the time were, uh, were living with us, and I had my girlfriend playing the future. I thought everything was going good. My sister was pregnant, and uh, they got married in October, and the baby, she was born four days before my birthday. Everything was good for a while. We're getting used to the baby being there, and and then something happened, and it put my sister on a downward spiral. So my sister and her husband, they steal a bunch of money, and now the police are after them. They disappear, they come back around, they get arrested. My girlfriend, of course, breaks up with me. My grandfather passes away. I end up losing my job. My sister goes to prison. She comes out of prison. It's October, it's 2016. She's been in the hospital so many times. You gotta come see her. They tell you it's time to go see somebody. Of course, everybody's like, she's gonna recover, everything's gonna be fine, but just to be sure, it's just me, my parents, my sister in the bed. Doc comes in, he's like, I gotta talk to you guys. You can either take her off of life support today, or in two weeks, even with the life support, she's gonna die anyways. So we literally sat there and we had a, we had a family meeting about ending the life of one of our own. But you know, a miracle could happen. Maybe she'll recover, but stuff's already shutting down. You know, we, we, we decided that, okay, we're gonna say our goodbyes and we're gonna disconnect her from the machines. We get together and they take the machines off and we gave her a uh, little, little stuffed toy and she's holding it. And we all drove home in separate vehicles. It was very, just a surreal experience. in 2018. So I'm at work and I'm thinking about, well, maybe I should read the Bible. I'll do it when I get this done and I have this done and this is happening. The Holy Spirit or whatever was like saying, you got nothing to do right now. You're getting paid to sit here for eight hours and once in a while somebody comes by. You're telling me you don't have any time? Read it now. So I actually downloaded the Version Bible app. I read the whole thing front to back and I was just finishing up the Old Testament. Okay, now you gotta go find a church. Okay, so I'll work on a radius. I'll start the closest church and I'll work my way out. Every week I'll try a different one. Once I do three of them, church Jesus thing, I'll be over this fact. That Thrive was the first one. And then I decided to come back the following week and I said I want to start serving and my confidence level. I went from I'm doing the lights because I'm too scared to do the camera to I run the YouTube channel, I got us on TV, the church, and just knowing there's people here who have been to similar things. The first outdoor worship night. So I'm holding back wanting to cry harder than I've ever cried in my entire life. And I'm like trying to hold back these tears. And then it was the last song and I cried and I cried and I wasn't even sure why. And I was like, I feel forgiven. I was holding this weight and I just, it, it's, it's gone. I can't explain it. I know every word in the English language. I wouldn't be able to tell you the word to completely describe what it felt, what it felt like unless you felt it yourself. Well, happy anniversary, Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you with us as we celebrate eight years of what God has done in our church. So we are so happy uh, to have you joining us, all of our, our campuses. And, you know, also, uh, you know, if, if you've been uh, coming, you know, maybe this is your first time, and if you are, you are a guest, but if you've been coming uh, more than once, then we consider you family, so we are so happy to have you, and we're going to be launching a bunch of groups coming up. We'd encourage you to get involved. Uh, if you want to get involved, a lot of them are going to be launching within the next uh, week or so. You can go to thrive.church groups. Let us know that you want to get involved, and we'll make sure to get you plugged in. Basically, what we're, we're going to be doing is the sermons that we hear on the 
weekend or whenever you come, we're going to be digging into those a little bit deeper with some extra stuff, with some videos and some things like that. So really encourage you to get involved with that. So anyhow, we're starting a new series today called the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And yes, based on the old great westerns with Clint Eastwood and all those things that I grew up at least, uh, you know, watching as a kid. And there was always, you know, like the, the sheriff that would roll into town. And, and, and in scripture, uh, this series, we're actually going to be looking at the, at the book of Judges. And the judges were kind of like the sheriffs uh, back then. They weren't kings, really. They were like a magistrate. They were kind of the, the person who was, who was in charge of taking care of law and order in Israel at the time. So we're going to be looking at them. Some were good, some were bad, and some were certainly ugly. But here's the thing I know is that God used each and every one of them. And I'm excited to know that God uses the good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't look around. Don't point at anybody. But God uses all of us. You know, Israel uh, was God's chosen people. This is the Jewish nation. And they did evil in God's sight. Like God was not pleased with the things that Israel did. He was not pleased with them. And, and, and so they were there, and because of their evil ways, God delivered them over to their enemies, the Midianites, for seven years. They were being terrorized by the Midianites. It's so much so the Israelites were hiding in the mountains and in the caves. So what they would do is the Israelites would plant crops, they would, they would have livestock and herds that they would grow and they would tend to. They did all this stuff, and then the Midianites would swoop in, attack, and steal everything. So this happened year after year after year. They, they would uh, grow all those new crops again, they would start new herds, and then the Midianites would come in, take their ox and their goats and their donkeys and everything they had. You know, it was kind of like, like the bully in school. You know, the bully that always, like, demands your lunch money. It's like, give me your, your lunch money. I remember when I was in second grade, I decided I was going to become a bully. So I was like, it's time. <laughs> it's time that I'm the bully now and not the bullied. And so I was in second grade, and I was, I was a big kid by now. And, um, and I'm like, i got to find someone to bully. So I found a kid that was smaller than me. And I remember it very clearly. We were standing next to the bathroom, and, and he was short, and I was tall. And I went up to him, and I'm like, what do bullies say? Like, I don't know. Like, I had a thing of something to say. And so I went up to him. I was like, what color? And, and, this is, and, 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 and the worst voice, like, what color are your shoes? Like, that's what came out of my mouth. And he looks at me, slightly terrified and slightly confused. He's like, black. And I'm like, yeah. And I walked away. That was my, that was my bullying career. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty pitiful. But uh, anyhow, um, these, these Midianites were not bullies like that. Like, these were, like, legit bullies. Like, like they would come and take everything. They'd come in, and, and, and they, would, they would camp in there, hundreds of thousands of people, and they would consume everything until the land was bare. And the people of Israel were starving. Imagine that. Imagine your family, that, that you're living in your home. You've got a, a garden. You've got maybe some livestock there. And, and, and you're raising these things to provide for your family, and then just somebody swoops in and takes it all. And now your family is starving. Like, what do you do? What do you do? Well, Judges 6.1 is where we're going to pick up. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree 
at Ophrah. Now, that's not Oprah, okay? That's Ophrah. It was a city, not a person. Uh, came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Okay, so let's just stop here for a moment. That's not how you thresh wheat. So normally how you would thresh wheat is you would, you would get the kernels of wheat, and then you would, you would hit them with something. You would crush them to kind of crack the outer husk. And then you would have some kind of a, a basket or something. And, and you would throw it in the air. So you'd usually want to find like a high elevated place somewhere with a consistent wind. And you'd throw it in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away. And then all of the grain would come settling back down. And so that's what you would do over and over. You kind of pound this out, throw it up in the air. The wind blows the chaff away. And that's how you get the grain to make your wheat to provide for your family. Here, though, here though, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, wine press was something that was generally a pit in the ground and, you know, maybe seven, eight-foot deep pit, and they would fill it full of grapes, and usually there was a channel that would go to another pit, and so they'd fill it full of grapes, and they would go in there, and they would step on it, and they would crush it, and they'd crush all the grapes in there, and then the, the grape juice would kind of flow over to the other little pit, and then that's where the fermentation process would begin. Well, Gideon is in the pit threshing grain. So like if you saw from a distance, all you'd see is, is kind of a hole in the ground and then grain come flying up and then drop back down. Like that's it, it just flies up and drops back down. It flies up, drops down. This is not a very good way to thresh grain, but why was he doing that? Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he was afraid. This was food that he somehow procured for his family and he's trying to protect it, so he's hiding in a wine press, and that is where he's threshing this grain. So now, this is not the mark of a hero, right? This is the, the mark of somebody who's just trying to get by. He's like just keeping his head down, trying to stay under the radar, trying not to make waves with anybody. It's like, I just don't want to be seen. I hope nobody sees me. I'm just here to get a little bit of food, and then I'm going to go home. And then the next verse says this in uh, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Like, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Like, here he is in a wine press hiding from the enemies, and the angel's like, and I don't think he said it like, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I think, I think it was lousy. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He's like, can you keep your voice down? There's no heroes around here right now. Like, mighty man of valor. You talking to me? Like, like, he was not a leader. He's in a wine press threshing grain for crying out loud. He had no military experience. He was hiding in a pit. He's like, well, you just keep it down. I don't know who you're looking for, but don't draw attention over here to me. In your notes, God calls us for who we will become, though, not who we are. See, that's what I believe was happening there. See, at that moment, Gideon was not a mighty warrior. He was not, but God was calling him that in advance. I believe sometimes God calls us things in advance, not because that's who we are, but that's who we are destined to become if we follow him. Continuing on in verse 13, Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. 
So Gideon is getting a little, a little salty with the angel here, right? Like he's arguing with the angel. An angel shows up. He's like, hey, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon, he's shocked. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. He's like, let me tell you something. Where's God now? Have you ever felt like that? Like, like, where's God now? Where's God in the mess that I'm facing now? Where's God in the, in the trouble that I'm going through right now? Where's God in all of this? Yeah, yeah, you say you're coming representing God. Well, where is he? And he tries, you know, uh, so he's doing this. And, and, and then the angel, you know, is talking to him. And he, he's like in the pit there. And they're talking. And he's in the pit kind of miserable, kind of angry. And then it says that God wants to use him. Let me see. Um, in verse 14. Well, actually, before that, you know, he's in the pit. And do we ever feel like we're in the pit? Do we ever feel like we, we've, like, hit rock bottom in our own life? Do we ever feel like, like, I, I can't go any lower. I can't go any lower. You know, that's where God often shows up. In your notes, God will often show up when we're at our lowest. This is verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. Then he tries to make excuses. He's like, I can't go. I'm the I'm in the weakest clan and I'm the weakest member of the clan. Like, how how and he's supposed to be a mighty warrior? Like, he's bragging about how weak he is. He's like, I'm the weakest person you've ever met. Like, I'm not the right guy. You, you can't use me. You can't pick me. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Many of us, we feel that way. Like, I'm just a nobody. He says, go with the strength you already have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Go with what you already have. It's like, look, I got nothing. I got nothing. Maybe you feel like that in your own life. I got nothing. I don't have anything. That's not true. You do have something. And your notes, with God, you have more than enough. God has equipped you. He's given you talents and abilities. God has equipped you in more ways than you can imagine. And with God, you are enough. And he's saying to Gideon, I don't expect you to go with what you don't have. Go with what you already have. You got a little bit of courage? Go with that. Go with that. And then, and then he gives Gideon a mission, a mission from God. He says, I want you to go and destroy your dad's altar to Baal. Baal was a false god. And guess what? Gideon's dead at a big altar, and everybody would come together, and they'd all worship Baal, worship this God, and they'd sacrifice, and they'd do all kinds of horrible things there. And the angel's like, I want you to go and destroy it. Like, no pressure, right? Like, go and destroy Dad's altar. So he's like, okay. He gets 10 other people, and they're going to go, but they're going to go in the middle of the night. Because he's, he's a coward. Like, he's scared. He's like, I'll do this, but I'll do this in the middle of the night. He's afraid. You ever wake up and see something vandalized? Somebody snuck in the middle of the night and did it? Happened to us here at the church like a couple months ago. We came out and somebody did donuts in the front lawn. I'm like, wow, somebody had fun here last night, you know? And, and here's the thing. Like they, they wake up the next morning and then they see this altar had been vandalized. It had been destroyed and a new altar was in its place. And everybody's like, what happened? And like, oh, Gideon did it. Gideon. Then they start demanding that he be put to death. Gideon's dad, who owned the altar, actually stood up for Gideon. Sometimes our act of boldness will inspire somebody else's. You know, Gideon stood up and destroyed the altar, and now dad, who owned the altar, is now starting to stand up a little bit too. He's like, you know what, guys? Don't kill him. If this is Baal's altar, let Baal defend himself. Why should we defend the God? If the God is so powerful, let him do it. Let him do it. So he got off with that. Then... 
Shortly thereafter, the Midianites begin to mount up their attack to come through and once again wipe out all of the Israelites' hard work, to wipe out their crops, to wipe everything out. So Gideon does a call to arms, and all these soldiers come in, and and, and there's 32,000 soldiers that gather, and, and as they're coming in, Gideon's like, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So he says to God, like, if you're sure that we should go and fight these Midianites, here's what he's, I'm going to do. I'm going to take a piece of lamb's wool and I'm going to put it outside. And if in the morning the dew saturates the wool but the ground is dry, then I'll know it's you. Sure enough, the next day he comes out, the, the, the lamb's wool is, is soaking wet, the ground's dry. He's like, okay, that was too easy. Like, let, let, let's mix it up a little bit. How about tomorrow morning I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. Or is that what I just said? I don't know. I don't remember. It's the opposite, whichever one that is. And he comes out, sure enough, the next day, you know, the, the, the ground is dry, the fleece is wet. Uh, and, and it's the opposite of it. And, and now he's like, okay, we're going to go. 32,000 soldiers come in. They're ready to rumble, except there was only one problem. Their enemy was about 135,000 people. So this is basically like a, like a four to one odds. Like every fighting soldier had to kill four other fighting soldiers in order for them to be able to be victorious in the situation. So they're outnumbered, four to one, four to one. But they're like, okay, you know what? You know, they're probably going to do the, the brave heart speech, get everybody pumped up. They're going to go into it. They're going to fight this battle, right? They're going to do this. And then look what it says in Judges 7-2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Like, too many? Like, I only got 32. Like, like it's four to one odds. Like, like, there's no way we can do this. No, no, you know what? You got too many warriors. Because if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves with their own strength. So then Gideon goes and says, okay, anybody here afraid? Anybody, you know, wimps? You know, you don't want to fight in this battle. You don't want to defend your homeland. If you're a wimp, then go home right now. 22,000 said, see ya. (laughs) They walk away. 10,000 are left. God looks and says, that's not, that's too much. Like, what do you mean it's too much? This is 13 to 1 odds now. Now every fighting soldier has to kill 13 other fighting soldiers in order for it to be a victory. Like, like the odds are stacked against them, and God's like, no, 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 that's too much. I want you to take them to a lake and see how they drink water. And Gideon must be like, that's kind of creepy. I'm going to watch him drinking water. God's like, I don't care. I want you to do it anyway. They all go to the water. He says, whoever just sticks their face in the water and drinks like a dog, tell them to go home. But if they cup up the water with their hands, then, then you can let them stay and fight. So Gideon's probably like doing like, you know, how to drink water coaching lessons on the side. He's like, just scoop it up. And for some reason, 9,700 of them drank it up like a dog. 9,700. He sends home. Now they're left with 300. 300. Now we're at 450 to 1. That means every fighting soldier has to kill 450 people. The odds are stacked against them. And God's like, okay, now, now we're talking. See, and, and you know, sometimes God will ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. See, see, Gideon kept getting asked to do these things. It, it didn't make sense. He's like, God, what are you doing here? What are, what are you doing? Why are you sending all these people home? I had 32,000. Now we're down to 300. And God's like, okay, go attack. It's like, what, are you serious? And then he says, but, but if you're afraid, why don't you just do like a little spy run into the enemy camp? 
So Gideon's like, okay. So he sneaks into the enemy camp, and he goes in there. And he hears two soldiers, and they're talking. And one soldier says, hey, man, I had a dream last night. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, what was your dream? I had a dream that a big loaf of bread rolled through and rolled all over our army. And the guy's like, wow, it's a crazy dream, man. I bet that means Gideon's going to win. And Gideon's like, oh, okay, great. Now, I don't know, seems like a sketchy dream to me. But Gideon took that as a word from God. He goes back and says, hey, guys, they had a dream that bread crushed them, so we're going after. And, and, and we're going to get the, the state-of-the-art weapons here. We're going to get a, a, a horn and a pot and a torch. Like no swords, no spears, no, no battle axes, no bows and arrows, a horn, a pot, and a torch. And they break up into three groups of 100. Judges 7, verse 19. It was after midnight. So it was dark out after the changing of the guard. When Gideon and a hundred men reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew the ram's horn. Now, I didn't have a horn, but I, I assume there's probably one, like, redneck in there. So he does something like that. They blow the horn, and they break the clay jar. And then the light shines out. And then everybody is now blinded by the light. And then the light goes, they blew the ram's horn, they broke the clay jars, and then all three groups blew the horns again. Oh, we got to blow the horn again. Hold on, here we go. And then they blow the horn, and uh, they break the jars, they held the blazing torches in their left hand, and then their horns in the right hand. Oh, that's a mess. And, and their horn in the right hand. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. That's all they did. And then each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And when 300 Israelites blew the ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled. See, Gideon and the troops, they fought with silly, silly weapons, a sword and a torch and a clay pot. I'm sorry, not a sword, a horn, a clay pot, and a torch. They fought with these things. They were unlikely. They weren't conventional. But in your notes, God loves to use unlikely means to accomplish his purposes. He likes to use unlikely things, unlikely things, to accomplish his purpose here on this earth. And, you know, they, they fought the darkness with light. Like they're at, the, at midnight, and all this bright light is shining, and that light conquered the darkness and it put the whole Midianite army into confusion. And we live in a dark world as well. And we're in a spiritual battle, not over land and not over politics, but we're in a spiritual battle over the eternal souls of people. So we look around. Look around at our church. Look around. We're not the most skilled. <laughs> we're not the most qualified. I sure know I'm not. Like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But, but God does know, and he's brought us on a journey, on a journey, and he's continuing that journey. See, they seem like they were outnumbered. They thought that they were outnumbered. They thought that they were a minority in the situation, but in your notes, with God, you are the majority. When you have God on your side, it doesn't matter if you got 300 people with torches because now you are the majority. Now you are the conquering nation because of what God has done. And as I was kind of thinking about these things, you know, the, 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 the light and, and, the, and the horn, I'm thinking like, 
You know, it's kind of like they were announcing, they were proclamating something. They were proclaiming, they, they were speaking out. And for us, that's what we have to do. We have to speak out. And then, and then the light, I think, like we have to shine our light too. And so many of us, we don't want to break the jar. We want to leave the light hidden. And we don't want to tell people that we're serving Jesus Christ. We don't want to let the light shine. We live in this dark world. It says in Philippians 1.6, though. It says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. He says, I am certain. He is certain that God will com- uh, complete the work. He who began the work is faithful to complete it. My God will complete it. And see, in our church and in the lives of, of the people that, that we've come to serve, we've seen so many people, their lives get transformed and, and healings and miracles and, and addictions broken and so many things. And I believe that we've been called to make a difference. But are we willing to be bold enough to break the jar in our own life? Like, are we willing to be bold enough to break the jar in our own life so that people can see our light shining out? So that people can see what God is doing in our life it seemed crazy what Gideon did. It seemed crazy. It seemed crazy that God wanted to only use just a small, ragtag group of people to accomplish his work. But he does it time and time again. What chance does darkness have when the light is shining? None. Light will always defeat the darkness. Every single time, darkness never wins. Light only fails. And if your light is failing, that's why it's dark. But if, if we're willing to, to break the pot, to let our light shine. See, Gideon led his troops to victory against all odds. But God, God specializes in that. God specializes in beating the odds. 450 to 1, piece of cake. This is nothing to an almighty, all-powerful God. A God who loves to use the weak. A God who loves to use the ordinary. A God who loves to use the plain and the normal. You might feel like there's too much that you're facing right now. The odds are stacked against you in your life and in your work and in your school and in your addiction. It seems like the odds are stacked stacked against you but let me tell you that God is the game changer and when God is for you who can be against you if you feel weak God is here for you if you feel foolish if you feel unqualified if you feel broken if you feel shamed if you feel damaged that's okay because you're exactly what God is looking for God uses the weak the jacked up, the messed up, the broken, the people with the checkered past, you are who God is looking for. When God calls a mighty warrior, he's not going to the general of the army. He's looking in a wine press. He's looking for a guy that's hiding for his life. God is looking for people like Gideon, people who are hiding and broken, but willing to take a stand when they know that God has their back. Willing to charge into battle simply with a horn and a flashlight. Like, I'm willing to do it. So it's time for us to come up out of that pit. To take a stand. To sound the alarm. To open up our mouth. To shine our light for the glory of God. Because he is doing a work. And he wants to use you. And he wants to use me. He wants to use people like Gideon. People who don't have it all together. 
And from the very beginning, we've, we've always said, you know, we, we want the people who are broken. We want the people who are hurting. We want them to be able to come and have a safe place where they can be loved by us and loved by God and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when God is in your life, then now you become the majority. The odds are no longer stacked against you. And God promises that he who began that good work is faithful to complete it. So you might feel like you're in the middle right now. You might feel like you're, you're you're Gideon just threshing that grain. You're in the middle saying, I know God started something, but is he really going to finish it? He promises in his word that he will finish the work, that he will complete the work, that he will not leave you high and dry. Gideon became the mighty warrior, not because of who he was, but because he was willing to obey. He was willing to do a few crazy things. He was willing to follow the leading of God, regardless of the ridicule, regardless of how crazy it seemed. He was willing to take the stand, and we need to be that way also. Take a stand and let our light shine for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now. In Jesus' name. And we thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you for people like Gideon who inspire us. Inspire us to take a stand. Inspire us to live for more than what we've been living for. That we live for more than just threshing grain in a wine press. So we invite you to use us in that way. To use us to bring you glory and honor. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, like that, that's where it all starts. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you speak with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord, that you will receive that free gift of eternal life. You'll receive forgiveness from your past, from your sins. Won't you call on his name? Jesus, you are my Lord. God, let us be willing to stand boldly, to be bold like Gideon. Let us be willing as a church to stand boldly, to do the foolish things, to let you be you, and we trust that you with us is greater than anything. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can. So we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you've accomplished in our lives and in our church. And we know that the best is yet to come, that you are still moving and moving in a powerful way, in a way that's unexplainable, in a way that none of us can take credit for it, in a way that only you can take credit for, that you get all the glory and the honor. So let us be bold to blow the horn, to smash the pot, and to let our light shine to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.